Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the CogniCast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm Russ Olson. This week we have a conversation that I recorded with my friend, conference organizer, and the only person I know who can outdo me on Star Trek trivia, Diana Gunther. But before we jump into the conversation, we do have a couple of announcements. ClosureConch 2018 is just around the corner. It happens on November 29th through December 1st in Durham, North Carolina. The speaker list is out. It's at 2018.closure-conch.org slash speakers. So check out all the great talks. Conj sponsorships are also still available, so if you're hiring or you just want to get the word out that your company uses Clojure to solve an interesting problem, there's a sponsorship level for you. Get the details at 2018.clojure-conj.org sponsors, and you can contact events at cognitech.com to discuss the sponsorship opportunities. If you have a closure-related event you'd like us to mention, do drop us a line at podcast at cognitech.com. Well, that's about it. So on to me and Diana and episode 146 of the Cognicast. I'll start. Yep. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Cognicast, the podcast about software and the people who create it. I'm Russ Olson, and this week it's my great pleasure to be here with Diana Gunther. Welcome to the Cognicast, Diana. Hi, Russ. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, as we were getting ready to record this, one of my other communications mediums, we're doing this over Skype, but I have about a dozen you know, chat things um, pinged and it was the one I forgot to turn off. I try and tur- turn everything off. So we, we have a traditional first question on this podcast, but I think I'm gonna add a zeroth question, You know, the way programmers count from zero, which is how many chat systems are you usually logged into in any given moment? Oh, I have I have a wonderful program, and uh, this wonderful program puts all of those together. So I can tell you, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> okay, you win. And, and the eighth is actually Slack, where I only put one channel in. So if I open Slack, I have twelve Slack channels in oh. there. So I have a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, so I should let you introduce yourself. Uh, you and I have known each other for a few years, but um, so tell me a little. So, so tell me what you do, and tell me, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So, what is your job title, Dan? All right, um, my official job title is CEO, but I rather go with com- conference organizer and community manager. Um, I am organizing international conferences, IT conferences. So my um, home conference is GoTo, mainly Go to Berlin, where you were a keynote speaker once, and I'm very happy to welcome you back this year. <laughs> um, 
I also organized community conferences. So I started out with community conferences in the Ruby community. And um, I am originally a systems engineer and then went down the path of uh, pedagogy and psychology. So I studied uh, pedagogy and psychology in my bachelor and I have a master in adult education. Wow. All of this IT and my adult education background fits very well into this all conference business. Okay, I, I can't resist. I have to make the obvious joke. Do you actually run into all that many adults in the software business? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yes, there are some. I there... met. <laughs> well, so l- l- let me ask you what's really the traditional first question of this podcast, which is, can you can you tell us about some experience of art that you've had? I have a lot of experience with art, but I have one um artist that I really admire. It is Olafur Eliasson. It's a Danish Icelandic artist. Uh-huh. And um, I think I, met, I, I I was at the first exhibition in 2009, where he was in Berlin. And the most the, the thing that blew my mind most was a room full of fog. You know, this fog that is made of dried eyes. Sure. And from all the different directions in this room came different kinds of lights, like blue, red, yellow, and also different kinds of noises. So you had like rainforest noises and uh, white noise and things like that. And you were not alone in this room. You could see barely your, your hand in front of your eyes, but there were other people around you. And that was so spooky, but it was so intense at the same time. And um, that was the, the moment where I really started to, to love this, this art of uh, Olafur Eliasson. So where, where do you go after the fog room? I mean, what else has he done that, uh, and, and I don't mean that in the sense of, well, what else has he done? I just mean, uh, I'm trying to get a feeling for the parameters of the kinds of things he does. And certainly a room full of fog sounds like an, an interesting place to start. Yes. Yes, um, it does. He does a lot of things with um, with with colors. Mm-hmm. So in um, oh, let me let me check. I think it's Aarhus or Copenhagen. I always mix those two cities together. I'm sorry. It's in Denmark. Right. And on top of a museum, he created a rainbow walk. So it's a it's a roundabout where you walk through and you walk through different sections of colors. Oh, interesting. So um, the, the the glass around you is colored, and we walk there with our team, with our go-to team, and all of our go-to conferences have different colors. So we went into the green part of this roundabout and take a picture of our Berlin team, and then we went to the orange part and took a picture of our Amsterdam team, and so, yeah, oh. he does a lot of those new new compositions of art. Right. Right. And it sounds like sort of installation art. I'm not sure if that's yes. the right uh, term. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so, so, but the way you spend your time these days, mostly it sounds like is you organize either uh, regional or international conferences. It, certainly yes. that, certainly that's how I know you. I think we bumped into each other three or four times at various conferences, including the ones that you organized. Um, 
how does how does one uh, you know when you were a child growing up did you did you make the list of things you wanted to do for a living be a doctor firefighter conference organizer or something how does one end up being a professional conference organizer i guess is what i'm asking yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a teacher. I uh-huh. always wanted to teach people and um, make make the world a better place, so to say. Um, I never imagined to be a conference organizer, to be honest. I wanted to fix things, so that's why I went into tech. And then I recognized, okay, I'm, I'm good with fixing things. Now let's see if I can make the world a better place, as I thought when I was a child. Um in educating people Mm. and then um, at one point uh, the Rails Girls that's an association where um, women get a place to uh, quickly learn or experience to um, create apps with Ruby on Rails um, came into town and I went to the Rails Girls workshop and uh, I thought wow that's a cool thing to do but um, I'm not a programmer Every once in a while, every few years, I try a new programming language and check if I'm still not a programmer. And yes, I'm still (laughs) not a programmer. Um, But I wanted to give back to the community. So I... um, Two, two women started to do Rails Girls Berlin, and I was like, oh, I could do that. I could help them. And that's how I started with all this organizing of Rails Girls workshops. And then um, I think just a year after, a friend of mine said, hey, you did this Rails Girls workshop uh, just a few days before this conference, and I'm doing this conference. Would you like to help me creating this uh, community conference. I'm like, well, that's a, that sounds like fun. So I was doing conferences in my spare time because it was fun. Sure. Um, and then at, at one point, I, I, got, I got so fed up with my daily job which was IT recruiter, and I can I can hear the people um, that are listening <laughs> to the podcast like doing doing this thing like recruiter. I don't like recruiters. Yes, I know nobody like likes recruiters. So I got fed up with my job, and I, I talked to basically each and everyone I know and said, "Hey, I'm looking for a job. If you know something, then just let me know." And then a friend of mine came and said, "Hey, this guy is in town. Um, he's looking for someone to talk to about communities in Berlin." And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I'm good with communities in Berlin. Yeah, he's doing this conference. Um, talk to him." And then I talked to him, and just 20 minutes into this talking, he was like, okay, when can you start? So wow. that is how I became the community and conference organizer of Go to Berlin, and suddenly there I am. You know, it's funny. I just wrote an article just a week or two ago about how uh, at various times in my career, my hobby you know, almost overnight turned into what I was doing for a living. Um, and the the funny thing is that, that the main one that I think of, like the big one, is I was kind of an amateur hobbyist Ruby programmer long <laughs> before Rails came along. And yeah. I actually went on vacation. I had a long vacation while the whole 
build the blog in an hour thing happened. And I came back and it seemed like everyone I knew and people that I didn't really know wanted to talk to me about Ruby. And I'm like, what's going <laughs> on? This Who cares about this this obscure Japanese programming language? You know, um, it, it, it would be a little bit like if you were into, I don't know, anime or something and you came into your office one day and there were 10 messages saying, you know, with people when I'm having serious conversations about anime is a little bit the way it the way it felt so um so tell me tell me uh i think conference organizing i think most developers um go uh, so before before i say that let me just put in a plug yes i rails girls um is a great thing i i also want to plug closure bridge which is sort of the closure version of rails girls and so yes. go on over to closurebridge.org or is it rails2girls.org um if we were going to plug that, I'm sure we can put it in the show notes. Now I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, so I was, I was, uh, I think most developers have gone to at least a, you know, most developers, I think, go to a conference or two, some more, some more than the others. I think, I think as a, as someone who's spoken at conferences, I get to see some of the, the sort of inside of, of conference organizing, can you tell me what it's like to organize a conference? Like, how does it start? Like, if you decide to have a conference in, I don't know, Berlin, say, um, how does that start? Like, is is it a year-long process before the thing gets off the ground? Six months? Tell, tell me a little bit about that, because that's something I've taken part in but don't really know anything about. Yeah. Um, as with everything in life, it depends. <laughs> So um, if you want to have a community conference with a smaller audience, like 100 to 300 people, then yes, you can start just six months prior to the, um, the date that you have in mind. Um, the biggest problem is the venue. So finding the right venue for what you have in mind. If you want to have a single track conference, it's easier to find a venue for, I don't know, 100 to 300 people. Um, if you want to have a uh, two, two track conference where two tracks go simultaneously at the same time with in different rooms, then it's uh, not that easy. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have to look a bit in advance. So for example, for my conference here in Berlin, I um, had, I signed the contract for 2020 and 21 last year. Oh my goodness. So that's, yeah, that's like a three year lead time. Yeah, but this is this is just something when you know that you want to have it like each and every year. Some conferences do not do that. Some conferences even travel um, from one city to the next. Like Eurico um, is in is every year in in the same in another city. Right. Right. So they start basically a year before the conference looking for venues. So that is the first thing that you that you need to have because be, before you can't before you don't have the venue, you don't know everything around it. You don't know how many sponsors to fit in. Um, what does the catering look like? Do I have catering in house? Do I have to to um, order catering um, from from somewhere else? What about uh, what about drinks? Um, soft drinks, water, tea, coffee, all the things. And I can tell you the most expensive thing for conferences is first the venue and then catering. So if you ever um, bash about the food, um, <laughs> 
Well, I can tell you the conference organizer did a lot of thinking when they um, created the menu. Well, mostly my complaints when I go to conference is is more like, oh God, I wish there was less food here because I really don't need all of the food. But it's here and I'm probably speaking and I'm very nervous, so I'm going to eat the food until it's gone. Um, so one of the things that, that people ask me a lot as uh, someone who speaks at conferences is, um, how do I get my talks accepted? You know, oh, I, I would really like to start uh, speaking at a conference and how do I get, and my answer always is something like, well, do exactly what I do because that's the only way I know that works because I don't know, you know. Uh, do you have any, if, if I were uh, someone who wanted to speak at one of your conferences, do you have any advice? And I've never spoken before any place. Do you have any advice for me in just in terms of, you know, how do I, how do I get my talk accepted? Okay. Th that also differs from conference to conference, of mm -hmm. course, but um, my advice would be uh, write down what the audience gets out of your talk. Hmm. So, so don't do not do not write a, a whole I don't I don't know three page essay of um, this is what I'm talking about. Um, write a short abstract. What does the audience get out of this talk? So you can you can talk a lot of all the things, but you cannot you so. Ah, you need to know what you want to tell them. So you can talk about a lot of things, but you can't say anything, right? Right. So this is this is my my advice. Check what the audience get out gets out of it, and write this down. All right. Um, so so here's a similar related question, but I think it's a little it's a little different. So I've sent in my 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 abstract, and you your conference has accepted it, and. I'm a speaker at your conference and I'm coming to your conference. How do I make you happy so you'll invite me back? <laughs> Be uncomplicated. <laughs> and <the> Answer emails. <laughs> so yes, uh, we we depend we depend on the um, on the speaker working with us. So when we send out forms where you um, where we ask you to fill out your dietary requirements, your uh, the nights that you need um, at the hotel, and uh, your your travel arrangement or anything. Just answer answer those emails, fill out the forms. If you don't understand anything, ask questions. We are there to help you, to make you comfortable, and to support you. And if you have um, special requirements, for example, I remember a certain man speaker coming in from the U.S. telling me, hey, I will be very, very jet-lagged. Can you please <laughs> send someone over to guide me to the conference so I make sure that I will be on stage? And I said, yeah, sure, I will send you my colleague. And my colleague picked this lovely gentleman up from the hotel, brought him to the conference venue. And yes, he was on stage at the right time. Remember that? I, I really appreciated your doing that. <laughs> I think I had flown in the night before or something. You and, did. And you I, did. I can't, uh, I can't find my, you know, I can get lost in my own neighborhood. So um, it was a huge help. Uh, and I actually had a very pleasant uh, trip on the subway. It's always uh, 
Uh, one of the things that I try and do whenever I visit a new city, and this is probably pretty weird, is I try to ride the subway if there is one, the metro. Uh, um, so I've, I've ridden metros all over the world. Um, and that was like a freebie because she took me on the metro. And so I didn't even have to figure it out myself. Yes. Uh, so, all right. So, so here's a similar question, but, but with a slightly different twist. So I am a speaker at one of your conferences. How do I make you miserable? Do the exact opposite of what I just told you. Okay. Do not show up on time. Do not recognize me when I am calling you. So do not pick up the phone <laughs> and, um, and have extra questions like, uh, I don't know. I, I brought this strange device and I need, a, I need an adapter for it to make it work with this projector. Do you have this adapter? And, and ask me this on site, like five minutes before the talk. That will make me really, really, really miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen those. Um, uh, I, I, I've seen those heated discussions before people speak where there's lots of waving around of cables and adapters and things um i mean most of the time we do have adapters for almost everything but sometimes not and if the speaker does not communicate this beforehand that they will bring a strange device that we don't know with any known um connector then it's really hard it's really hard so i, I I sort of imagine that that organizing a conference full of developers is uh, you have a unique opportunity to be kind of an anthropologist among with <laughs> with developers. Um, and so I know I know you've organized uh, Ruby things, and I I've spoken at some go to conferences, which I think are pretty broadly aimed technical software yes. conferences. And did I see that you've also organized Scala conferences, maybe? Yes, Scala Days. I organized Scala Days until last year. I did not organize it this year, but I will be involved next year again. Oh, okay. So any other sort of, uh, you know, more specialized areas, like there's Ruby and Scala. What, yes. are, what other kinds of things have you done? Uh, you know, Micro-exchange. Micro micro, it was the first and only microservices conference. Oh, ah, okay. It's, it's no longer, but um, I organized, I, I was one of the organizer of uh, the micro-exchange conference. So, so I guess, I guess what I'm leading up to is as sort of, um, maybe you're an amateur uh, software developer, anthropologist. Do you notice differences in the different communities? Like I think GoTo is probably like the average because it pulls in lots of people and many of them. Um, but I'm curious, is there a difference between Java developers from like the conference organizers point of view versus Ruby developers versus Scala developers versus people interested in microsystems or microservices? Hmm. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah, but only on the on the on the very slight side. So everyone is a developer, mm -hmm. one way or another. So they have they have a similar mindset. So they understand um, all the things around developing uh, development. So that is that is what they all have in common. But if you look deeper under under the hood, so to say. Um, 
I think we had we had this little Twitter conversation just a few days back about the Ruby community, and I totally agree with you that um, the openness and the um, heartwarming friendliness of the Ruby community um, is you can't. I well, not you, but I did not see that in any other community that I worked with. The Scala community is also very friendly. Um, but they have some 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 quarrels in between mm. those different kinds of groups. I've never experienced this with Ruby on Rails. Never. Then um, microservices is also, uh, or the micro exchange group is also a broad com- broad community, and um, I can't see any specifics there. The okay. same goes for Go to Berlin. It's a right. broad community. We are all very friendly to each other. So yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, so I, I spend a lot of my time with Clojure people these days, mostly I do Clojure, and I think the Clojure community reminds me of the Ruby community a bit, but they're a lot more serious, not not in a bad way, but just very like intense and serious. How can I put it? Uh, at, at a at a Clojure conference, you you are less likely to hear somebody laughing hysterically, you know, from across the room. They're, they're very nice people, but... Uh, there's there's a slight uh, I don't know higher level of seriousness there. So grown ups, they are no, serious grown ups. No, I, I don't. I I think it's yeah. I I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, uh, I, I I'm not sure there's any more grown ups in the closure community than there are in the Ruby community. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> and I'll leave it as a question to the listener uh, what that number is, but. Uh, so let me let me ask you this. Um, uh, it, like all of us, you're kind of organizing conferences in the real world, and I'm sure it's it's sort of you're looking, trying to balance sponsors and uh, venues, and make sure the money makes sense, and and all of the million things that it that it takes to uh, to to yes. make something work in the real world. Um, yes. To 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 phrase it, um, my budget sheet is my bible. Yeah. So yeah, I have I have a budget sheet, and um, this is something that I have to look on every day. That's the real world. in In an ideal world, if you were going to put together a conference, and you had, if you had, I don't know, three or four times the amount of money. So, you know, we're not talking about flying everyone to Greece or or some yeah. tropical beach or Hawaii or something. But if you yeah. had a fairly large pile of money to do what would your ideal conference be like what what do you dream about doing in terms of a conference basically the conference that i organize in berlin with a little bit on top so at go to berlin we already have those tiny details that people are looking for like a quiet room where people can relax in between oh i love um, i love the quiet room i am uh, so i am like uh, the most introverted person you have ever met in your life, and so conferences take an incredible amount out of me. They're they're really a lot of fun, but I always feel like exhausted. I love your quiet room. Yes, I am an introvert myself, although people would not recognize me as such because I can play the extrovert very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I um I'm very happy that we have the quiet room because then I can also sneak in there, <laughs> and people are not allowed to talk to me in there. 
Now, so we have a we have this quiet room which I really really like. Then um, I would like to have uh, childcare. Mm-hmm. He offered it several times already, but um, people did not pick it up. But childcare is something that I would li- like to have at conferences. Um, of course, uh, good and healthy food. Um, no sugared uh, soda, which is really delicious in Berlin. Um, and of course, most important thing, coffee, good coffee. Well, at least it's for me most important and for some other people that I know. Um, so good coffee, which we also have at my conference. I, I was at a Ruby conference once where on the middle of the afternoon of the last day, it was like a three-day conference, they ran out of coffee. And it's as close to a riot as I've ever seen in a, in a technical yes. conference. <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> what we also have here in Berlin is um, a, a, a bubble drink called Club Mate. So that's like mate tea, just as a soda. Oh, right. And uh, this is also um, a drink that a lot of developers prefer to, um, for example, uh, another bubbly thing that I'm not. No. So uh, coffee and other things uh, to stay awake and to stay focused. So uh, what, what's the best thing that's ever happened to you at a conference? Oh, my God. There are so many things. Um, well, meeting awesome people. I think that I, I just put it I, I just put it generally meeting awesome people. So um Keynote speakers, for example, are almost invited, so you can choose, more or less. Um, and all of the keynote speakers that I invited um, are really dear to my heart, and that I, I really wanted to have them on stage. So, um, but also other speakers and also other community members. So meeting other people is is the best thing about conferences, and of course learning. <laughs> But this is the second best thing. I, I, I think I think I'm probably not alone when I say that I go to conferences to check out the talks that I'm going to watch on YouTube later, because um, yes. it's just to you know wandering the halls and talking to people that I would never otherwise meet and maybe never meet again uh, in person. Uh, it's too good to waste, you know. Um, yes, I also okay. think that the hallway track is is the best. Yes. Um, for, for me, also, the the whole speaker thing, uh, when I speak at a conference, I'm full of adrenaline for like six hours afterwards, and I just can't sit in a in a talk. It would not be respectful to the speaker for me to sit mm-hmm. there and fidget for 45 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, so so w- one of the other things that I know about you, if uh, we can change the subject slightly from uh, conferences, is sure. I know you are a huge Star Trek fan. Oh yes, oh yes, I am. <laughs> All right, so so let let's explore that for a few minutes. Uh, old series, Next Generation, Deep Space. No, what's your favorite? Uh, Next Gen. Next, Next generation. Gen. Okay. Yeah, I grew I grew up with Next Gen. Of course, um, the first uh, I, I the first thing that I watched on TV was the original. And when I was in, um, in in school, when I think it was third grade or so, um, we actually played Star Trek on, on the playground. 
Yes, and I was I was Uhura because she was the only woman. Ah, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but generally speaking, it's the next generation. So you never you never hooked on to the later shows. Oh, I did, of course. Ah. I love all, I love all of them. I see. Um, so I I adore Janeway. She is she is such a tough captain. I really adore her. Um, but there's my my favorite captain will still be Picard. Um, I I had to get used to Deep Space Nine. I had to watch it twice to be honest to mm -hmm. get used to it. But no, I like it. I like it a lot. And um, yeah, the original is the original. So I am not a fan of the reboot, and I am still undecided on the discovery. What do you think it is about Star Trek and people in our business? Let me let me back up and say that I've noticed two things in in a career of of you know spending my time with developers is developers are much more and not just developers but people kind of generally in our business we're much more likely to be musicians and we're much more likely to watch Star Trek. What is it about Star Trek, do you think? What 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 makes it work for you? First it was the gadgets and the science fiction. Mm -hmm. And when I grew older it was uh the politics. Well, now we're talking about politics. Well, um it was uh the the idea of a united world, so our earth, no wars, we overcame those things and we are actually talking to each other and we try to figure things out instead of shooting at each other and discussing things that um, are everybody's own business. So yeah, it's more or less the, 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 the thought behind all of this that I would, I would really like to see um, us develop into a society where we rather talk to each other and be nice to each other, mm -hmm. that we go back to the Ruby community. Mats is nice, so we are nice. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this kind of thing. So this is also one of, my, one of my mantras. Communication is the key. And the other one is assumptions are evil. So do not assume anything, ask questions. Ah. So what am what am I assuming? You're not assuming anything, I think. <laughs> You're asking me questions, which is good. What what do you think what do, what do you think is the assumption that people make mo most often that is unfortunate? It's kind of a philosophical question for a show about software development, but what the heck? It is, and it's also a very broad question because. Um, well, that's what they I, tell. That's what they tell you to do in interviewer school, right? Don't don't ask people, <laughs> you know, what did you have for dinner last night? Ask them what is food, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So assumptions are. Well, let's 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 bring it back to uh, the developer world. Do yeah. not assume what your customer needs. Do not assume what your user needs. Ask your user. Hmm. Right. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. You, you know, there's a, even going smaller than that. I'm, I, I'm sure in your adventures in programming, you've had, you know, bugs that that you can't fix in a program. And you just, you know, you're banging your head. And it's almost always because you've made some assumption about what's going on that's not right. Mm -hmm. So you check um, 
it's uh my, my dad used to say that when you lose something like you've lost your keys or whatever it's always in the place you're not looking right because you've looked yeah. you've looked in the places you're looking um and it and having that in my head i will frequently see people who lose their keys look in the same places over and over and over as opposed to some place they haven't looked because it can't be there you know and yes. you see that with developers all the time is they'll they'll get hooked on some bug and you know i do it as well and they just you just keep going and trying the same things over and over when it's clearly not those things yes what's it like so you you live in berlin uh, yes. Yes. So what's going on in Berlin these days in, in kind of the tech scene of Berlin? Tell me about what what life as a as a conference organizer in the in the the technology hotbed that is Berlin is like. It's like uh, drinking too much coffee and you can't stop co drinking coffee and you're running around all the time and you're thinking, I'm not getting all of this. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, at any given time, you have like uh, five different meetups that you can choose from, mm -hmm. which is really, really, really exhausting. <laughs> so, if but it's also it's also nice if you're uh, if you if you're bored in the evening or whatnot, or you want to uh, free your head, or you want to see something different, and you can choose from different meetups, which is really really cool, and. Um, we have a lot of blockchain coming up, uh, a lot of blockchain startups in Berlin, but I think it's not only in Berlin, it's uh, right. all over. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool. And we also have a vibrant um, tech community, startup community, where uh, there are not only meetups, but also conferences that are coming up. New conferences every year, which is really, really amazing. <laughs> So um, I, wanted to, I wanted to come back to something uh, we touched on earlier, which is uh, your work with uh, Rails Girls and uh, um, Closure Bridge. Y you know, as sort of the classic demographic guy who's um, a developer, right? I look like most of the other developers that I work with. H how do we do a better job of that? I think you're in a unique position maybe to, to talk to that. Yes, what, what I um, what I recognized over the past couple of years where I worked with communities is that um, guys, now I really use the word guys, um, should be, or it would be nice if those guys could be uh, role models also for other guys to be mentors at Rails Girls or Closure Bridge or other bridges to mm -hmm. be. In, in this case, there are also other bridges out there. And uh, mentor new um, people coming into the community and, of course, uh, minorities. That, that would be great because, as we all know, working in tech, the, um, there is a, a quite, a, quite an imbalance um, between guys like you and um, women, people of color, other minorities, LGBT, and all those um, people, and also, and just support them, just take them seriously and um, make them feel comfortable, make them feel at home in your community, whatever your community is. Amen to that. I, I will say that one of the things that that 
I have discovered that I think gets lost in these kind of conversations is I did a, a closure bridge weekend. Oh, it's, it's three or four years ago now. I should really be doing more of this. But I have to say that was one of the best times I've had in a very long time. I mean, so you, you go into it from my point of view, not exactly knowing what to, to expect, but just sort of thinking that I'm going to pitch in and, and help. And mm -hmm. by the end yes. of it, you know, you're spending this, you're spending a weekend, a couple of days um, talking to and working with people who are just interested in the things that you're interested in. And they have a completely different point of view of what you're doing. And yes. that was just, uh, I mean, I think two hours into it, I, I had forgotten that this was supposed to be something I was doing because it was the right thing to do. And I was just having a great time. And that just uh, continued the entire weekend. Then as it happened, there was a hurricane uh, that was... Uh, sort of passing by where that particular closure bridge was that weekend and everyone else in the world was talking about or at least in my world was talking about this hurricane and and how bad the rain was and everything and I'm not even sure I, I knew it was raining um I was having such a good time um so oh, fortunately the power great. didn't go out so um, so I do want to say, you know, it sounds like, oh, you should do the right thing. Sometimes the right thing is a lot of fun. Um, so It is. But if, well, if you mentor people, so if you tell them about the things that are very of, of interest of you, mm -hmm. then sometimes they ask you a question where you, you, you do not ask yourself those questions yes. anymore. It's just usual for you. But suddenly they ask you this question and you have to think like, oh yeah now i have to explain it in words like wow okay and everything opens suddenly like in, yep. in a very different way and it's just mind-blowing sometimes so, so the, the the other cool thing about mentoring people i think is you get to be there when the light bulb goes on and that is exactly why i studied pedagogy and psychology because i wanted to educate people and i wanted to see the light bulb and this is just the best experience that you can have when when someone in front of you understands um and also uh their problem is solved Yes. So, so it is. It is not only the light bulb. It's also kind of a relief. Like, oh, that is so cool. Uh huh. Um, we have we have another thing at one of uh, at our conferences. It's uh, called a women and non-binary lunch, uh -huh. where we invite um, all the women that are at our conference, not only the speakers but also the attendees and from our sponsors and every every woman and non-binary person is invited and we also have um motivational speeches by um speaker or people of the community um we have a lot of women communities also here in berlin and uh, minority communities and um at the end one of the things that i uh, always say to the people in the audience is um become a role model because we have not enough role models out there. If we have role models, sometimes they just disappear or they don't, they don't want to be role models or whatnot. Um, so I, yeah, I think, I think this is also something if uh, one of you listeners never thought of being a mentor or um 
being a role model for other people, um, I think it's worth it for the light bulb and all the other nice feelings. Yes. Yes. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, there's, there's nothing, I've had a few interns in my career at, at different times and there is nothing like, uh, realizing that this person who was a very young person who maybe you taught something to has gone on and, and been a success. That is, uh, like, like having children without the day-to-day -day responsibility. It's all the good things. Having, yes. Having a kid without, <laughs> without actually having to pay for college and healthcare. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Well, uh, that was great. Is there anything else on your mind? Because that was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think that that was it. Okay. That was it. All right. Well, <laughs> well, that brings us then to the uh, the last question, the last traditional question of this podcast, which is: Do you have any advice for us? Yes. In. Um... In regards to con conferences, if you look at the conference and you really, really want to go, but you see the price and you think, whew, I can't afford that. And I don't have an employer who can pay this kind of money. Just write to the organizers and ask if you can do some kind of arrangement to be at the conference at, in any way. Maybe a discount, help them on site, help them beforehand, make some, some promo or whatnot. Um, there's always a way to attend a conference that you really want to attend. Just talk to, to the people. As I said earlier, communication is the key. All right. I think that is great advice. Uh Diana, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to us. This has been a great conversation. Thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun. Well, uh, well uh, in that case, I think we're going to end it here. So uh, thanks to the listeners for listening. This has been the CogniCast. have been listening to the CogniCast. The CogniCast is brought to you by Cognitech. We are a team of thoughtful, experienced technologists. Our passion is helping organizations from the smallest startups to the Fortune 50 deploy technology effectively and humanely. We're here to help you build better futures. You can find us on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the CogniCast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, Cognitech.com slash CogniCast. You can contact the show by tweeting at CogniCast or emailing us at podcast at Cognitech.com. Our guest this week was Diana Gunther, whom you can find on the web at at Diana Gunther, that's at D-A-J-A-N-A-G-U-E-N-T-H-E-R. Boy, just her first name and her last name, what a boring Twitter handle. Our host this week was, well, me, Russ Olson. I'm at Russ Olson on Twitter and most of the other places. Episode cover art is, well, by me, too. 
Audio production is by Joe Smith and Jared Binford. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is by Cognitech's own Ben Camphouse, who produces music as Pattern Shift. Look for it on any of the major streaming services. And if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm Russ Olson. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.